Now, The Interpreter Show, with discussion, debate, and the latest information on all kinds of religious issues and topics. Welcome back to the second hour of the Interpreter Radio Show, sponsored by the Interpreter Foundation, a nonprofit organization dedicated to the scriptures, history, doctrine, and practices of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Chris Fredrickson, I'm Bruce Webster. Uh, we have a couple of topics. We're going to cover the second hour. The first one, uh, which we'd like to cover, Cassandra Hedelius, who, who, whom I've known for almost 20 years, uh, brilliant uh, lawyer, Latter-day Saint scholar, uh, fearless defender of the faith, <laughs> uh, <coughs> had a, a, a recent experience that she wrote about. The, the, she has a uh, Substack uh, blog. It's, called, it's at Cassandra Hedelius. That's spelled H-E-D-E-L-I-U-S dot substack dot com. Uh, the title of her Substack is called More Things in Heaven and Earth. And she had a post that she, she wrote just a couple days ago called Thinking Celestial in the, the Emergency Room. She and I had actually talked about uh, this uh, a couple weeks ago, her going through this. But she said, let me just read the starter. So sorry to be dramatic, but a few years, weeks ago I had a heart attack. <laughs> now Sandra's not that old. She has, she has four kids still at home. I think it's just, she said 39 in yeah. the article. She says, uh, I never dreamed middle-aged mom's coronary arteries suddenly shredding themselves was a thing, but apparently it's a thing. One moment I was brushing my hair. The next moment I collapsed. I couldn't breathe or see, and my right arm went totally limp. My four little children were still in their beds waiting for mommy to come get them up. The fear that they would find me dead is the most terrible thing I have ever felt. Uh, and... Uh, Actually, I'll just read the next two paragraphs because it leads into it. She says, Technology, wealth, and peace have insulated me from the tragedy that has been perfectly ordinary throughout human history. I felt like I owned my life as long as I did a pretty good job with it. I raised my kids pretty good. I lived the gospel pretty good. I didn't get in, don't get in knife fights or hang glide or do drugs. But now my illusion of entitlement is shattered. I've no right to be here. I'm not entitled to be alive. I own nothing because the ancient wisdom was always true. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but didn't go through with it this time. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, and she says, there's nothing like a brush with death to make you count your blessings. But then she goes on to talk about this realization that we, we often have uh, this sense of entitlement, like things are always going to be this way. And <coughs> the... She says this often leads to an attitude of, uh, and, you know, stop me how many times you've heard this. Oh, God would never do this, or God would never let this happen. Basically, it's, it's, it's a, it's a uh, uh, not that examining drift into theodicy. You know, God, God, is, God is, of course he's going to do things right, and that may be in general, uh, but you see this as with criticisms of the church and the gospel. Well, God would never let Brigham Young be racist. Uh, 
God would never let my bishop to, you know, say this awful thing to me or to, to extend this calling or to remove me from this calling. And this is an important point because <clears throat> these are, I've, I've, I've used the phrase repeatedly on a radio broadcast, a lot of these are first world Mormon problems. <laughs> <coughs> they really are. It's, it's, it's ones we indulge in. Now, I thank God that I served my mission in Central America. Uh, spent two years in impoverished countries, mostly paying for room and board. Living with people, sometimes they were members of the church, sometimes they weren't. But living in their houses, eating what they eat, uh, and working with members of the church who lived in levels of poverty that we simply just don't imagine here in the United States. Uh, and that changed forever for me the, the association of, you know, <coughs> what I can expect or what I can deserve because God loves them every bit as much as he loves me. In fact, I, uh, one of my most powerful experiences was when our daughter finished her mission in Guatemala about 25 years after my own mission, we went down to, to visit her and tour Guatemala for a few days before coming home with her. We went to the temple uh, in uh, Guatemala City, uh, went through a session, and we came to the celestial room, and there was this local member, uh, elderly woman, who probably stood all of about 4'8", uh, clearly nearly pure Indian heritage and having again served my own mission there and since we just spent several days, I was pretty sure her level of income was below anything you would expect here. But there she and I were both in the celestial room, both dressed in white. And it was a very powerful reminder that the covenant path and the mercies of the Lord are extended equally to all who walk this earth. And that means... To that, Mayans and Americans. Yeah, and that means we also have to accept the fact <coughs> that the difficulties and sufferings and injustices may be shared as well. Uh, I think here in the U.S. we tend to get a little too cozy, a little too, you know, why do they have that ugly carpet in the chapel? We, we find <laughs> reasons to be upset. Uh, I, I listened, uh, oh, I can't remember who was a member of the 70s who spoke in the opening session of General Conference, who, who talked about he and his wife touring Africa. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and and <coughs> both with members and non-members. And, you know, the church's relief efforts there, but, but the, the sheer poverty and the difficulty of life there, and the fact that we need to, you know, he was talking in terms of what the church is doing and what we need to do to help those in needs, but at the same time, it is also a reminder that the gospel applies through time and space. That the, Lord's, the Lord does not love people who are living in Southeast Asia 800 years ago any bit less then he loves the saints along the Wasatch Front. They are the same gods and goddesses and embryo. They have the same potential for exaltation. Mm -hmm. And 
he loves and watches over them. And, but if you look at the lives that people, that humans have had to live throughout history and that billions of people live today, you have to recognize that, no, we don't have promises. We don't have commandments. Chris, I've, I've launched no, into that. I'll no, turn over I, you. you know, I mean, several things. You brought up some great points there. Um, <coughs> first of all, you talk about that sense of entitlement. And I, I think one of the things that um, I've observed is that, um, in a sense, a sense of entitlement might be a pretty good description of many in this rising generation and perhaps plays a role in if they do, they're leaving the faith because they think, how can God allow this to happen? How can God lose to me? Why is God doing it? If it doesn't agree with their personal sensibilities because they've spent much of their lives being entitled, being given everything that they could possibly want. And yet, you know, one of the things I taught Revelation today in Gospel Doctrine, and um, I think there's going to be <coughs> I inevitably in a not too distant future that a lot of young people that have lived lives of luxury and wealth and comfort that they're going to come up against some pretty searing realizations um, as society perhaps becomes more dysfunctional more dangerous more treacherous as perhaps economies don't hold up the way that they should they're going to have to deal with some significant challenges and promises. This is promised us in the book of Revelation. I mean, it says that those that are going to be with the Father are those that have come out of great tribulation and they have had their robes washed white in the blood of the Lamb. And so, but there is among many of these individuals. Now, I had that experience. I was in Africa almost a month. I was in Ghana and Uganda, and I was there with Days for Girls, which is a humanitarian organization led by Celeste Mergens. They're doing great work. The people are so poverty-stricken there, and her focus is on women, that young women cannot afford menstrual supplies. And so they have come up with a product that is a reusable menstrual product so that young women can stay in school because they can't even afford to buy menstrual supplies for these young women. That's how poverty-stricken they are. I was in a ward. I was attending a ward in um, Accra. Uh, no, excuse me, in, um, uh, in Uganda, Kampala, Uganda. And a young woman came up to me there and she said, oh, uh, and I, they'd asked me to teach Sunday, somebody not showing up for primary. It's the same the world over. So they asked me if I would teach and she came up to me um, while I was in primary and she said, would you take a letter to my sister at BYU? I, I was at BYU, but her sister was at BYU, Idaho, but she didn't know the distinction. I said, oh, I'd be happy to do that. And the reason she was asking me to carry that letter for her was because she couldn't afford a stamp. These people often, many of them live in abject poverty, but so many of them are flocking to the gospel of Jesus Christ because what they're more interested in is spiritual wealth. They're interested in the wealth, the spiritual wealth that comes with being a member of Jesus Christ's church. And so, I, I, you know, I, I don't doubt for a minute that Heavenly Father isn't in charge. And everyone's going to have their, we sometimes talk about that come to Jesus moment. Everybody's going to have those come to Jesus moments where their whole life has changed because of experiences that they have had. Cassandra did. 
when she had this experience. I certainly did when I was in Africa. It was a life-changing experience for me. Bruce had that on his mission, and we're going to have those over and over in our lives. They're going to change the way. My trip, I missed you know, the radio show the last couple of months. One was my husband's 75th birthday, but the other was, because um, he's way, way older than me, haha. <laughs> Um, but the other was I was in Turkey. That was a life-changing experience for me. And the reason it was life-changing was because when I went to Ephesus and I saw the glory and splendor and the wealth that those people had accrued, the largesse, the power and might of the Roman Empire, it was poignantly clear to me that only Paul could have been that missionary to these people because Heavenly Father had perfectly ex prepared him for what he was called upon to do. His life was significantly different than Jesus Christ. He was called to preach to the wealthy. He was a well-educated individual. He could converse with all of those great philosophers. He could preach on Mars Hill. He could speak. He had the protection of the Roman Empire as well as being a Jew, uh, trained by Gamaliel. I mean, let's be honest, perhaps the greatest scholar, uh, Jewish scholar of his day. He was perfectly prepared. And here was Jesus Christ, and he was commissioned to atone for the sins of the world and to preach his salvific gospel in dusty, dirty, poverty-stricken towns throughout Palestine. But Paul was called to go to these rich, splendiferous cities to counter the, you know, the the gods and goddesses that they worshipped to kind of poke people in the eye with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he did what he was asked to do. That was life-changing for me. I'll never see Paul the same. So we're all going to have those experiences. And Heavenly Father will often orchestrate them for us so that we can. And I don't think that what happened to Cassandra is horrific and terrifying. It had to have been. She had a less than one-year-old, and then she had three other little children in bed, and her husband was out of town when this happened. Those are life-changing, and it helps you to reflect, and it helps you to review. And, and I loved, you know, Bruce may want to say more. I hope I'm not jumping the gun, but I loved her conclusions here. And I, I invite everyone to read the article because she's pondering, and she's wondering, and she, she's sharing, you know, the challenges that she's dealing with because of this experience with regards to the gospel and how she sees it and how she is to proceed. And she says, if we don't try to see from God's eternal perspective— the sorrows meant to purify us will instead only fester. We're here to be proven, much more than to be happy. We're here to learn happiness on God's terms, not ours. What does God want? For us to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with him, to be grateful for success in times of hardship, to enjoy our blessings without feeling entitled to them. See, imagine if we get to that point in our lives where we see everything as a blessing. This is a blessing from my Father in heaven. This is nothing that I've earned on my own. This is nothing to which I am entitled. This is just the largesse of my Father in heaven, his mercy and his love for me active in my life. And then she goes on to say, to choose difficult obedience over unscriptural platitudes. Oops, let me change that. Uh, and about happiness that will inevitably turn to ashes. You know, so she's articulating, for me anyways, you know, what I feel here is we are utterly dependent on the Savior Jesus Christ. What he has done for us is beyond our wildest comprehension. We can't even begin to comprehend what he has done for us, but it's real. His atonement is real in our lives, and where our devotion should be is to the Savior Jesus Christ. 
I'd like to read another passage from it, because this is a wonderful essay. I'd really strongly recommend you track it down and read it. It says, where wealth and technology make life Instagrammable and seemingly risk-free, we're lulled by the flippant, God wants us to be happy. Or at stark corollary, any suffering proves that there is no God, because if there was a God, he'd want us to be happy. The path from the first to the second, from flippant faith to angry atheism, is not long when pain interrupts an assumption of entitlement. Instagram theologians, including many Christians, and I suspect she's also saying members of the church, who ought to know better, pile on even more flippant assertions. God wouldn't want or God would never. God wouldn't want me to be alone. God would never expect me to live inauthentically. God wouldn't want me to deny myself love. God would never inspire his prophet to endorse a vaccine I impose. Uh, this is obvious, she, she says, this is obvious nonsense to anyone who takes the scriptures seriously. We strive to follow a savior who told us to take up our own crosses, to cut off our own hands, to observe our covenants by every sacrifice which the Lord shall command. The God who dragged our ancestors across a continent on foot and allowed horrific infant and maternal mortality rates isn't going to rewrite his commandments to ease modern woes. And this, this gets back to the theme of how we tend to... Uh, we tend to believe in, in, in this sort of form of, well, you know, God has evolved. <laughs> Or somehow we are we are more important, we are more enlightened, we are better off. I'm those, smarter than God. Yeah, or at least smarter than those <laughs> desert nomads uh, from you know a thousand BC who are wandering around the Middle East. Uh, and as I've said before, from where God sits, there is no difference between us. We are all uh, <laughs> we we are all equally infantile. Uh, and it's it's useful to remember what the world went through just 80 years ago. I've been watching the uh, HBO series, The Pacific, uh, because my father served in the Pacific. He was on board the USS San Francisco. He was at Pearl Harbor. He was at the Naval Battle of Guadalcanal, uh, where his ship, the USS San Francisco, uh, basically engaged Japanese ships at point-blank range. All but two officers were killed. Almost 100 of the sailors were killed on board the ship. Mm -hmm. My dad talked almost nothing about it. My mom told me years after his death that at one point he found his best friend aboard the ship on fire and had to try and put him out. Uh, and then my dad went ashore with the Marines at Guam. Uh, and he was a naval radio man. And he was, in essence, preparing... <coughs> Uh, for the next move, which would be to go for the invasion Invade of Japan. Japan. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, but, but the, the series uh, shows just how horrific the, this island hopping was, uh, the absolute brutal nature of these fights mm -hmm. and the heavy losses on both sides. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think we have become complacent. Uh, it would only take, you know, a couple of nukes going off in, in Ukraine <laughs> uh, or elsewhere in Europe to suddenly turn the world upside down. 
Well, and I was uh, just I was just in Turkey. I mean, I was yeah. in Istanbul when you know <coughs> when Israel was invaded yep. and those individuals were slaughtered, and then the counter yeah. attacks. And sort of, there's something really cool, kind of, about being close to the, you know, but but it was interesting to observe and see. Turkey is a 90% Muslim country, but it's a democratic country. I never felt any fear. I never felt unsafe. It was it was an extra. I mean, for me, it was like another life-changing experience. So I would encourage anyone to go and to visit. But still, you know, to see how quickly things can turn on a dime, yeah. and you know what. Teaching book of, you know, if we study the book of Revelation, we would like to hope not, but we can't perhaps not suppose that we're not going to see calamities. Just like, you know, the 20th century, as historians, we describe it as, you know, the the, the, the century of warfare. Yeah. The First World War, the Second World War, Vietnam, Korea, yeah. Vietnam, and then all of these conflicts towards the end. S- perhaps some smaller than others, but certainly even in Israel and all of those. But we can't, you know, suppose that we're done with these kinds of things in a world that is completely unbalanced and that is just, you know, kind of teetering on the edge of the cliff right now. And so, yeah, I think this is a wonderful essay to help us kind of to explore where our loyalties lie. Do they lie with ourselves? Are we so self-entitled that it's all about me? And I kind of put myself on a pedestal and see myself as this godlike figure and that God's decisions and his practices and policies and his doctrine should accord with my thinking or do I get to that point where I realize how little and infinitesimal my knowledge and understanding is and that my complete dependence should be on the Savior and on his Father. One last quote out of the <laughs> essay and she's quoting C.S. Lewis and this was a quote of C.S. Lewis I hadn't run across yeah, before. Yeah, me neither. Uh, he said, I'm not sure God wants us to be happy. I think he wants us to love and be loved. But we're like children thinking our toys will make us happy and the whole world is our nursery. Something must drive us out of that nursery and into the lives of others. And that something is suffering. Uh, that's, you know, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Uh, mm-hmm. But I think it's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, my biggest growth in life has been in those, those areas where I have suffered the most, mm-hmm. where I have dealt with the most painful things. Mm-hmm. And those have been the uh, experiences that have mm-hmm. uh, purified me. or advan- I won't say purified, but have, have caused me to grow the most and have made my heart most mm-hmm. tender. And... In Bruce and my maturing years, they don't stop. <laughs> they don't all of a sudden, okay, they go away. I mean, you know, it's like I always want to, I, I, I pray for greater patience. I don't pray for experiences that will help me to try to be and to become more patient. I just pray for greater patience. That's not how the Lord works because that's not an effective way to train or to teach anyone. And life is experiential, and we're here to learn. And we're here, of course, hopefully, to establish our complete and utter dependence on the Savior Jesus Christ and to bear testimony of him to the world. Okay. Uh, so, yes, again, the, the essay is called, or the, the blog, Cassandra's blog on Substack, is called More Things in Heaven and Earth. It's by Cassandra Hedelius. Uh, H-E-D-E-L-I-U-S. 
And uh, this essay is called uh, Thinking Celestial in the Emergency Room. What does God want? So, and, th and that's just that one of the good problem. essays she's yeah. written. There's she's, a lot that she's are really brilliant. worth. I've, yeah. I've, I've, I've known Cassandra for almost 20 years. Uh, she's absolutely brilliant, and I think very highly of her, uh, even if she does root for Oklahoma. Anyway. Uh, 